0: First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three. As we continue on in our study of First and Second Peter, looking at what it is to have a living hope in a world that seems hopeless, in a world that seems to get darker and darker, in a world that seems to turn its back on the Lord. One of the things that I've been praying recently um, in this political season, I don't pray for a certain candidate to win because God is sovereign <laughs> I don't pray for a certain ideology I pray that God would change hearts with the thing I've been praying recently as I look at the context of scripture and I'm reminded of the people of God the Israelites who had God as their king and had judges that God had given them to to rule and to help govern them and to help lead them in the ways of the Lord and They just wanted to be like everybody else, though, and have a king. And when they came and said they wanted a king, God gave them what they wanted. That didn't turn out so well in almost every instance. And The prayer I've been praying, and I'd ask you to pray this with me in this season, no matter where you lean politically, is that God would not give us, as we look at our world and we look at our country and where we've gone and where how we've turned our back on the Lord as a, as a nation and a world, that the Lord would not give us what we deserve. Um, that should be our prayer, mercy, that we would cry out for mercy. And uh, so I ask you to pray that with me. And as we come to the Word of God, I'd ask you to pray the same thing, that we need His mercy, that we would be changed today. Father, we need Your mercy. We come to Your Word not just to learn some practical tips of how to live life. We want to hear from You, Lord. We've sung to You, we've proclaimed that Jesus is all we need and Jesus is all we have. Lord, the things we say to You are important. The things that we say to You are commanded. The things that we say to You are, are essential, Lord, but they don't give life. The things that You say to us, they give life. So Lord, we need life and we need mercy and we need grace and we need to hear from You today. So we ask You to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 3, we've been looking in chapter 2 at this notion of what it looks like to live our life um, honoring the Lord with um, with honorable deeds in front of the world so that a world that would thumb its nose at God and say that God is not in control and God does not exist, that that world would be silenced and ultimately that the grace of God would be poured out on them as they see God and as he shows up and ultimately in that last day that they will come to proclaim the greatness of Jesus and the way we do that is by abstaining from the way the world does things the the way the bible puts it is abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul and instead keep our conduct honorable in front of the people that are around us in front of the world and then Peter goes into this notion of what that looks like when it comes to the government and when it comes to our bosses, when it comes to unjust suffering in the world, that we submit to human institutions because God is in control. So when we think about submission, we're not just saying submit to human institutions and submit to people. We're saying submit to God because He's the one who's commanded us to submit to human institutions. Does that make sense? So if we say, I'm just going to submit... Without saying we're submitting to God, we're not going to find hope in it. But the hope is found in the fact that we trust Him. We have a hope in Him, and so we can submit to even suffering in this world. And so as we come to chapter 3, we deal with a pretty difficult subject, and a difficult subject in the life of people in our own church and people that we know, and that's marriage and how this works in marriage, this idea of submission. It's always that fun moment in the wedding, Um, and even in the premarital counseling, when you come to wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Because in our culture, our culture doesn't like that word submit. And yet the Bible is full of that language. And we have to understand what it means. So, I'm going to go ahead and warn you. Context is key here. Okay? I'm not going to, I don't want you to look at this passage and make it say what it doesn't say. We want to see what the Bible says and we want to apply it accordingly. So this passage is not going to simply call women to submit and suffer in their lives. That's not what's going on here. But instead it's a passage meant to give godly women hope in faithfully submitting to their husbands, even in hardship. So look at the passage of scripture if you would. So we look at what it is to submit and trust God and follow the example of Jesus. Verse one of chapter three says, likewise wives, be subject to your own husbands. That is a really important word in there. Doesn't say be subject to men. Does it? it says submit to your own husbands, not to somebody else's husband, not to just men in general. Submit to your own husbands. So there's a loving relationship, hopefully there, and even when there's not a loving relationship there, there is a relationship ordained by God. Okay, and so we want to understand that. Likewise, wives, and that likewise word there is important because that likewise goes up to chapter two, saying, and Jesus is your example, and. Make sure your conduct is honorable in front of the world. And you want to make sure to submit like Jesus submits. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be hidden... It be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is God, in God's sight is very precious for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him lord and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. So you have two words that women don't like in there. Submission and weak. Right? It's it's like one passage. Brad, you're just going for it today, right? Submission and weaker. I'm just waiting for the email emails this week. But let me remind you of a couple of things. First of all, I didn't write the book. Okay? Let me remind you that I'm simply preaching what's in it. Okay. That's what you called me to do, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to be apologetic about it because I think God's Word is best and God's way is best. And if we submit to God's Word and God's way, we're going to find that submission is not going to lead to destruction or to women in our culture or women in our church being seen as second-class citizens, but instead will empower you because you will be trusting the Lord. Power is not found in yourself. Power is found in faith and the faith that rests in and a powerful God. So I want you to find that and find the freedom that's in that. So let let me first start by saying what submission is not. Let me make sure we understand this. Ladies, submission is not being a doormat to your husband's every desire. Submission does not mean that if you're in an abusive relationship that there's no recourse or no way out. Submission does not mean that whatever your husband says you do. Submission does not mean that if you're husband wants you to sin, you sin. Because you submit to God. You submit to God. And so I want to free you from that idea of being a doormat. Submission does not mean those things. In fact, this passage is so brief in the context of First and Second Peter that I think it's brief for a reason. It tells me a couple of things about what Peter wants us to know and what he doesn't want us to know. First of all, Peter isn't concerning himself with everyone's personal situation. Okay, It's so brief. We're talking seven verses here, six dealing specifically with women and wives in a relationship that he can't be concerning himself with everyone's personal situation. That would be nearly impossible to do. So I know you're, if you're married today that you have a personal situation that you want to put on top of this passage of Scripture. And it's even uh, tempting to say, but I don't think Peter understands what I'm dealing with. That's a tempting thing. And I understand that. I do it with other passages of Scripture. I want want to not submit to the Word. I want to put my situation on top and let it define the Bible. But I I want you to hear that he does concern himself with one biblical principle that applies to all marriages and that's submission. He he doesn't just narrow this down to women whose husbands are believers. He doesn't just narrow this down to women whose husbands are believers. Aren't believers. If you look back at the passage, he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. See, all wives, your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word. So this is for all wives. For those whose husbands are believers, who are loving and honoring of the Lord, and for those who need a stern talking to by someone. Peter is concerning himself not with the people involved right now, but more with the principle involved. Because he wants to see that principle of submission. It's the same submission we talked about in chapter 2. And it's the principle that will allow freedom in a relationship for wives. And it's a hard concept for us to get because we're bringing 20th and 21st century concepts of submission in here. And I want you to see what he's saying is a freeing concept for women In a relationship so really what he's doing and the brevity of this shows it i think is that peter is less concerned with defining submission by giving you a list of behaviors you're supposed to do in marriage that will make you submissive i think what he's more concerned with is pointing you to a display of what submission looks like in the person of jesus and then he uses sarah as a secondary example because none of us can live up to jesus There's great hope. And he goes to Jesus and he says this is perfection. He wants us to see the display of Jesus' submission. But then he goes to, let me show you Sarah. And so as we just kind of dive in for a few moments here, I want you to see hope that at the heart of living as exiles in the world and in turn often dealing with suffering that's unjust, we have a hope that will be most effective in our witness when we become vibrant, living pictures of Jesus and wives submitting to their husbands become a vibrant picture of what it is for Jesus to be in control and the hope that we have in him. So I want you to see this hope. Okay, the first hope I see in the passage is the hope that there's a purpose in submitting. Okay, there's a purpose in submitting when we're submitting to even suffering, even the husband who does not obey the Word, there is a hope when we submit. Look at the passage. Look at what it says. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. So So that, there's a reason for this. There's a goal to this submission. It's not just submit because you're women. He says submit because there's a reason. So that, even if they're not Christians, even if they don't obey the Word, they may be one. They may be saved. They may come to Christ without a word, but instead by the conduct of their wives. When their wives are respectful and have pure conduct, go back to chapter 2, that honorable conduct will be the thing that leads husbands to the Lord when they see your respectful and pure conduct. There's a hope in this purpose of submitting and that hope is that those we love the most will come to Christ. It's as if the wife here whose husband does not know Christ and does not obey the Word, when he is won by her conduct, she's getting the full reward of chapter 2 when we're told keep your conduct among the Gentiles, honorable so that when they see your good deeds, they may come to glorify God on the day of visitation. She gets the full reward of that, that her husband, the one she loves the most, the one she's submitting to comes to Christ. That's the idea. That's the hope. David Helm puts it this way, because the force of verses one and two here should not be lost on us. Some men entering heaven when they are giving glory to God on the day of Christ's final visitation, will owe their very salvation to the honorable conduct and good deeds of a wife who determined to live out her days in real and costly and faithful submission. There are men in this room right now who owe their salvation to the work of Christ on the cross and to a wife who has been submissive and faithful and loving. I know your stories. I know that's true. It's a beautiful reminder. Augustine, in his um, confessions, told the story of his own mother who, through her faithful witness, witnessed to his father. We're reaping the benefits of that even today. There's story after story after story of faithful women praying for their husbands, honoring their husbands, submitting to their husbands, even in hardship. Because of the hope that's set before them. And the example here is, once again, for the joy set before Him, Christ endured the cross. The example is, we have a Savior who had a hope for the joy all of that was coming, all that was promised, all that was hoped for, all that was being secured. And so, God is telling you through His Word today, ladies, if your husband is not a believer... God is telling you that He gives special grace to women who are in those relationships, who submit to their husbands as unto the Lord, who pray for and love their husbands, quietly presenting a Christ-like attitude and the love of Christ to them. He gives special grace to you and He uses you to pour out His grace on your husbands. That's hope. It's hope that there's a purpose. So, as we're living as exiles in this world and and the hardest place to live as an exile is in your own home. He wants you to have hope because there's a purpose in it. There's also a hope in the Christ-likeness of submitting and suffering. There's a, there's a Christ-likeness that comes from this submission. Look back at the passage. It's a beautiful thing in verse 3. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear now, ladies, I just want to stop. Please keep dressing up. You look pretty. Okay, okay. I like the, I like, I like the fact that my wife looks nice. Okay, so, like, don't go overboard with this, please. Like Amelia Bedelia style, if you know what I'm talking about, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Who knows what I'm talking about? I to say, go read the book. Okay, you know what I'm saying. Okay, don't go that way. What, what, what we're saying here that this any. Any reader can read this and say, He's not saying, don't braid your hair and don't put on jewelry. Go ahead and have a seat, buddy. Okay? He's not saying, don't braid your hair and don't put on jewelry, because if that were true, he's also saying, don't put on clothes. Look at the passage, right? He says, let your adorning not be external, the braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. So obviously, he's saying, he's not saying, don't braid your hair and don't put on. Gold jewelry. You understand what I'm saying? Because he'd also be saying don't put on clothes. That's not what he's saying. Okay. What he is saying is don't let the external determine your worth as a woman. We think that this is a modern problem that you look at magazines and on the Internet and you see all the pictures of what beauty is supposed to be in our world. This isn't a new problem. This evidently is a problem 2,000 years ago when Peter was writing this. That there's pressure on women all the time, whether it's from their own husbands or from culture in general, to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to be a certain way externally. And he's saying, don't let the external be the model for you. This is. Let me give you a better picture of this. When we think of Jesus Jesus didn't look like the pretty guy in the pictures that everybody would go, oh, look how nice looking he is. He's not a hunk. Okay, Jesus was not the guy who just looked so nice that every woman would have been attracted to him. In fact, we're told in Scripture there was nothing physically about him that would call attention to him. Nothing. There was no external adornment that would cause people to go. He didn't have like a halo around his head all the time while he's walking around. Okay, He didn't look so pretty that everyone wanted to come and be around him. There was nothing external about him that would cause people to desire him in the external way. Instead there was an internal reality of holiness that came out of him in perfection. And the hope for a wife who will submit even in this suffering is that you will not you will not fall into the pressure of the external, but instead will be presenting an internal hope, a beauty and gentle spirit, a quiet spirit, which according to this passage in God's sight is very precious. Braid your hair. Put on your gold jewelry. Put on your makeup. Dye your hair if that's what you feel like you have to even though gray hairs are supposed to be a sign of wisdom and godliness in the Lord. But don't do it because of an external pressure you feel either from your husband or from the world. Instead, here's here's maybe the most effective way to put it dress from the inside out. Dress from the inside out. To not be overly concerned with external beauty. To be like Christ is to be adorned with inner beauty. So, this passage is not meant to be a legalistic statement against looking pretty. This passage is meant to be a freeing statement against the need some women feel to succumb to external pressures for external beauty and instead to pursue godliness and holiness. The way the Bible would put this is getting dressed from the inside out in Colossians 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, white cloaks that look perfectly pressed and everybody will think how perfect you look on the outside. Is that what it says? No, it says this. Put on then this, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you've been called in one body, and be thankful. This is the adornment that, according to our passage today, never perishes. There is an imperishable internal adornment that a quiet spirit, a submissive wife, will display. You're going to lose the battle of external adornment and external beauty. It's not to say older women aren't beautiful. What I'm saying is all those things you're concerned about today, they're going to change at some point. You're going to have new concerns. And you're going to constantly feel like you're losing. For men, it's the gut, then it's the hair, then it's the hair growing in weird places, then it's Okay? For women it's the skin and it's the wrinkles and it's the we get that. We love you. And we want you to know that. And isn't it an interesting thing that the Bible and Jesus, so often by our culture called chauvinistic, right? The Bible is the one freeing you from having to live up to the world's standards of beauty. Jesus is concerned about the heart. And there's another side to this if you look at the passage That those who are adorning from the inside out Getting dressed from the inside out It says in verse 5 For this is how the holy women who hoped in God Used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands So Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord And you are her children If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening This Christ likeness that comes from the inside will lead to peace which will allow you to, as Jesus did in chapter 2, entrust Himself not to the world, not to government officials, not to even His disciples, but entrust Himself to the Father who is the just judge. So, So, ladies, I want you to hear this. By submitting to your husbands as unto the Lord, you're submitting to the Lord and you're trusting yourself to the Lord. That's the idea to instead want to hold on to an identity that the world tells you you're supposed to have or an external adornment the world tells you you're supposed to have. That's you wanting the power. I'm not saying give the power to your husband. I'm saying realize that God has the power. Submitting to your husband as unto the Lord. Finally, this. To set your hope in God is to have the hope in the seemingly impossible being, being possible with God. So we have a hope that there's a purpose, that as you're suffering and even as you're submitting, that you're seeing the fruit in the end that God is pouring out His grace. You see a purpose that you're becoming more and more like Christ as it's not the external adornment, but instead the internal adornment of a quiet spirit and of this submission that this is what it looks like to look like Jesus. You're becoming more and more like Him. And finally, it's that God can do the seemingly impossible. The seemingly impossible is possible with God. And that's why Peter here brings up Sarah. Look at the passage. Look at what it says. This is how the holy women of God who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Sarah is the perfect example here because Sarah was no doormat. Sarah submitted and she confronted her husband. In fact, he was such an idiot, she needed to confront him more often. Abraham was not bright. Abraham was not faithful all the time. And she confronted him on these things. She called him to task on these things. She's set up as an example here because she wasn't a doormat. But instead she submitted to him and even called him Lord according to the passage here. So if you were to look back in the Bible as where does she call him Lord, there's only one place that I found. And it's when the heavenly visitors, including the incarnate son of God, come and visit and she's in the tent and then he's outside, Abraham's outside with the visitors and they make the promise that this time next year I'm going to come and Sarah, your wife who is old and barren, is going to have, going to be with child. And she laughs. She chuckles. And she says, What? Now? The way she puts it is, I'm worn out. And my husband is old. And this is what God's going to do? I love the language of it. It says, The Lord said, I will surely return to you. Genesis 18. About this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. It's a great way of putting it. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, that's Abraham, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And, And pay attention to this phrase. This is where I get the... The seemingly impossible becomes possible with God. It says this, Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's God's message. To women who are submitting, is anything too hard for the Lord? She's laughing, so this is actually pointing to her disbelief, but the response of God is, It's not too hard for me, Sarah. Sarah. It's not too hard for me to save your husband. It's not too hard for me to give you strength. It's not too hard for me to give you what you need. So women in our world who would mock the idea of submission to your husbands, they they would say things like, you're telling me God can take care of my needs? Yes, yes, I'm telling you God can take care of you. You're telling me God can provide for my kids? Yes. You're telling me God can protect me in my relationship? Yes. Is anything too hard for God? God can be trusted. And when you live the life of submission, all of us, no matter what the situation, submission to your boss who's unfair, submission to a government that's corrupt, submission to your husbands, your living hope causes you to look like Jesus because you're saying nothing is too difficult for my God. Nothing is too difficult for my God. Proverbs 31 tells us this, that an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And in verse 25 of that chapter, it tells us this about the woman who trusts in the Lord and serves her husband, submits to her husband, does no harm to her husband, says this strength And dignity are her clothing. So that internal adornment of the peaceful heart shows itself as strength and dignity on the outside. And it says this, and she laughs at the time to come. She doesn't fear even the most frightening thing. Why? Because nothing is too hard for God. As I close, guys, you don't get off the hook. I've just spoken to women for 25 minutes. I've never been a woman. It's one thing I can't speak to out of experience. But I'm a husband. The passage has something for us too. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, likewise. What does that likewise mean? There's a submission that happens for men as well, for husbands as well. We're submitting to the Lord. We're submitting to the cost of not thinking about ourselves, of not caring for ourselves first. We're submitting to the cost of loving our wives as Christ loved the church. There was a cost associated with that. We lay down our lives for our wives. There's an intimate care and concern. It says here, be mindful in an understanding way. Understanding that they need care and concern. That there are fears that they deal with. That your love for them or lack of love for them is a picture to them of what God can do for them. Hear me, husbands. In the same way as a father, your love for your children will become the picture of what a father is to them. And they, and when somebody in church says, your heavenly Father, the first picture they will have is what kind of father you are. When it comes to your wives, you love your wives as Christ loved the church. So the way you love your wives will be the display to your wife of how much Jesus loves them. That's a, that's a true true burden that we carry. And yet, look at it. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. They may be physically weaker than we are. And yet we honor them because we're there to care for them and to concern for them, to love them, to protect them, to be strong for them. And it is no wonder that so many Christian women fear the realities of whether they're cared for are protected because so many men are so obsessed with power and strength and their own desires and putting on external, external adornments and looking good to the people around them that they forget to care in an understanding way for their wives. A woman is meant to demonstrate the strength of the Lord by submitting to her husband. And a husband is meant to demonstrate the strength of the Lord by submitting to intimate care of our wives. When we submit to the intimate care of our wives, we're showing how strong God is. Strength and power are not found in our strength and power, but in hoping in God's strength and power. Submit to your husband's ladies. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Likewise, submitting, giving, sacrificing. Why? Because your wives, according to this passage, are equal partners in the inheritance that is found in Jesus. They are far more than your partners in this life. They are equal partners in the inheritance that is found in Jesus understand that they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They have been bought with the same price you have. The same blood was shed for them. And when you don't take care of your wife, when you don't value your wife, when I don't value my wife and take care of my wife, then we aren't valuing someone that God values enough to die for. The last part. The other reason why you should love your wives and live with your wives in this way so that your prayers will not be hindered. Look at it. It says, (laughs) Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in this way so that your prayers may not be hindered. You want God to answer your prayers? Men, do you want God to answer your prayers? Start with praying that God doesn't give us what we deserve based on how we treat our wives sometimes. I need that prayer. I need that forgiveness. I need that mercy. I want my prayers to be heard and answered. According to this passage, I can get on the road to that by caring for my wife as Christ cared for the church, by loving my wife as Christ loved the church. Ladies, I'm going to ask you a question. Would that be a man easy to submit to? Let's make it easy on our wives, guys. How about that? Let's make it easy for them to obey what the Word of God calls them to. That's the way we can love them best. Let's pray. Father, we want You to have Your way in us. Not our way. We'll fight for it sometimes. We want it so badly sometimes. But today we commit to Your way and Your way alone. Help us to live that way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to close out the service.